Let us ask God's blessing on the reading and preaching of his word. O Lord, our gracious God, we pray that by the same Spirit who inspired the words of Holy Scripture, you will speak to our hearts this morning according to our need. For Jesus' sake, amen. Turn with me in your Bibles or one of the pew Bibles to Psalm 72, beginning at the 8th verse. Listen to the word of God. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. May the Lord bless to us this reading from his holy word, and to his name be ascribed all glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and ever. Amen. The universal kingship of Jesus Christ is set forth in our text. Its more immediate focus is on the kingdom of Solomon, which was large but not worldwide, and then broadens the thought to the whole earth, will be filled with God's glory. Isaac Watts, the first English hymn writer, used this psalm as a basis for his wonderful missions hymn, Jesus Shall Reign Where'er the Sun, which we sang a moment ago. He saw the psalm as a prophecy of the universal reign of Jesus Christ. Our God is not a pitiful tribal deity, a helper of one nation, a collaborator with a a particular political party or project. Our God is the only living and true God. There is no other. Our God is the creator and king of the universe. Our God is the maker of heaven and earth. In the past, he has revealed himself through the prophets. But finally, God revealed himself in his eternal son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is already king. He is not a weak constitutional monarch like the few modern European kings who are left tend to be. He is an absolute king, but his reign is righteous. His reign is just. His reign is merciful. His reign is loving. In this psalm, we pray for the increasing expansion and manifestation of Christ's kingdom here on earth. Every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray for an increased manifestation of the kingdom of Christ across the whole wide world. May the whole earth be filled with His glory. Amen and amen. God's church is to be a faithful expression of His kingdom rooted in the gospel of grace and growing the church in the knowledge of Jesus Christ to participate in God's mission. Someone years ago said the church ought to be like God's colony in man's world. What does this kingdom look like? Isaiah tells us he shall have dominion from sea to sea. The rule of the Messiah will be widespread. Great David's greater son, Jesus Christ, will rule all lands, given him in the better covenant, 
that leave no nation to groan under the tyranny of Satan, the prince of darkness. Personal pronouns referring to our great king are constantly occurring in this psalm. He has total authority. Enemy kings fall down before him and serve him. A picture of utter defeat. These opponents groveling like snakes before the Davidic king. The good news of the Messiah opens up for us the vision of a whole new creation in which everything true, attractive, and pleasing will find a home. Revelation 19.16 is the key passage where Jesus Christ is called King of kings and Lord of lords. All will proclaim Jesus is King. King of kings and Lord of lords is a victorious title. Can't you hear the majestic music of Handel accompanying these great words? King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Everyone will be in submission to King Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Those who trust in and love Jesus Christ will pay this tribute eagerly and adoringly. Those who are his enemies will be forced to bend their knees and acknowledge with their mouths and then be cast into hell. Jesus Christ is the King of Kings. The theme of God's kingdom runs through both Testaments, focusing God's purpose for world history. In Old Testament times, God declared that he would exercise his kingship by setting up his kingdom under his chosen king in a golden age of blessing. The kingdom came with Jesus, the Messiah, as a worldwide relational reality, existing wherever the lordship of Jesus is acknowledged in repentance, faith, and new obedience. Jesus, the spirit-anointed, spirit-filled, ruler-designate, died, rose, ascended, and is now enthroned in heaven, King of King and Lord of Lords, giving now salvation from sin, fellowship with God, and increased human flourishing, leading to a future state of unmixed joy in a melted-down, remolded, reconstructed universe. The kingdom is present now in its beginnings, though future in its fullness. In one sense, it's here already, but in the richest sense, it is still to come. King of kings and Lord of lords, and he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah, hallelujah. The king himself delivers, he spares, he saves, he lives, and daily he is praised. The good and gracious king, Jesus Christ, rules a kingdom of peace, prosperity, and plenty. He rules a kingdom of justice, mercy, and grace. He rules a kingdom of light, righteousness, and virtue. He rules a kingdom where all good human desires will be fulfilled and all bad human desires eradicated. He rules a kingdom of holiness and love. Now, who is to say precisely what all this was mean, will mean as it's at the borders of language and experience? What no eye has seen, no ear heard, what God has prepared for those who love him. 
How do we enter the kingdom of God? Jesus said, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. When one is born again by the Spirit of God, he or she turns away from sin and embraces Jesus Christ by faith. Those who have thus entered the kingdom will at last experience full the full benefit of this prophecy of the coming Prince of Peace as described by Isaiah. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy all in my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. He shall judge between the nations, shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Isn't that what we want? What we long for? And finally, we read in Revelation, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Isn't this what we all long for? When all the sadness is gone. When our loved ones aren't dying. Whether or not you're a Christian, you you long for this. How long, O Lord? How long? My friend Ian Hamilton, a Scottish pastor who has preached here at Rivermont in the past, points out that the Apostle Paul bookends his letter to the, Rome, to the Romans with an identical phrase, the obedience of faith. This is in 1.5 and 16.26. What is the obedience of faith? Faith, self-renouncing trust in Jesus Christ, is obedience to the gospel command to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. But more than that, this phrase is telling us that faith in Jesus initiates a believer into a life of obedience to Jesus Christ. Where there is no obedience to Christ, there can be no saving faith. Biblical faith is not mere mental assent to biblical propositions. Faith What the Bible means by faith takes you into Christ, brings you into personal union and communion with Christ. But Jesus Christ is not held out to us in the gospel only as a savior from sin. Certainly that as a priest, he made atonement for our sins on the cross 
and now intercedes at God's right hand. He speaks to us as our prophet, God's last and best word. He has bought us with his own blood. He stands over us as our king. This threefold office of Christ impresses on us the nature of salvation that is ours by grace alone, through faith alone, in God's Son alone. He has saved us to be his treasured possession. He has saved us to make us his faithful, loving, and obedient servants. We are not our own. We have been saved to glorify God in our bodies. Now, there has been a false teaching in some Christian circles that it's possible for a person to trust Jesus as his or her Savior, but not to submit to him as Lord and King. Nowhere in Scripture is such a heresy taught, brothers and sisters. Nowhere. If you claim Jesus as your Savior, but have no inclination to submit to him as your king, you're no Christian. Sin is at heart rebellion against God's authority. God, I know better than you. My way is a theme song of revolt. Henley's declaration is in his Invictus, I am the master of my fate, I am the captain of my soul, is mutinous. When we surrender to God in faith, we lay down our arms. Swearing allegiance to a king always means at least submission to his commands. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. The true believer prays with the psalmist, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. And I desire to do your will, oh, my God. Your law is within my heart. Tomorrow is January 6th the day when the church has traditionally celebrated the visit of the wise men to worship the about two-year-old Jesus. The wise men were foreigners, not Jews. So this day is called Epiphany, which means manifestation, the manifestation of Christ to the Gentiles. Matthew is the only gospel that gives this account of the wise men. And you remember that this gospel ends with Jesus' great commission, All authority in heaven and on earth are given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This has the whole wide world in its vision. In Paul's letter to the Romans, he strings together three passages from each section of the Old Testament. The law, the prophets, and the Psalms that show the unanimous testimony of the whole Old Testament to God's intention all along to include the Gentiles with his people Israel in his worship and under his reign. And what is the ordinary means by which this kingdom spreads throughout the world? the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, that he rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. But in our day, many object to preaching Christ to the nations. Who are you, they ask, 
to think that you have the right to preach the gospel of Christ to those who believe other religions. Everyone has a right to believe his or her truth, they say. You are arrogant if you think that your truth should be applied to everyone. But our insistence that the gospel must be preached throughout the world is not condescension. It's simple, faithful obedience to our Lord Jesus who said, go. And in obedience, we go. William Childs Robinson, the seminary professor who influenced me and my theology most, wrote, when Christ enters lives that have been seared with sin and cities that have been neglected in the ministrations of God's truth, the response from the saved heart is, this is indeed the Savior of the world. If you do not believe in the evangelization of all non-Christians or post-Christian groups in the world, then you do not believe that Jesus Christ is necessary for the salvation of sinners. And all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if Jesus Christ is not necessary for the salvation of others, then really he can't be necessary for your salvation either. And if you do not believe that Jesus is necessary for your salvation, you're really not a Christian at all. For you and I and all people across the world are sinners. We're great sinners. And we deserve damnation in hell. We need a great Savior, no less than God in the flesh. Jesus Christ alone will suffice. What can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away their sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Someone has well said that the measure of a person's interest in evangelism and world missions is an expression of his or her valuation of Christ who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the teaching of Jesus' apostles, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men whereby we must be saved. Whoever believes in him, Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Can it be any plainer than that? And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. These and many other texts are absolutely clear. There is no salvation outside of Jesus Christ. Our culture hates that. But that's what God's Word says. Time after time after time. This isn't a little isolated verse somewhere. All the way through. Jesus Christ is the only one who can save lost sinners. Jesus Christ is the only one who can save you. Jesus Christ is the only one who can save any sinner across the whole wide world. Proclaiming the good news of Jesus is not haughtiness. It is, as D.T. Niles liked to put it, like one beggar telling another beggar where he can find bread. So you don't stand up and condescend and you poor slob need to come up to where I am. No, 
you get down there and you put your arm around your shoulders and together you go to Jesus. The love that saves is the love the Father did not withhold when He gave His only Son, but sent Him to be an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world. And the love of the Son who freed us from our sins by His own precious blood. The love that compels us to lay down our lives and our treasure that others may know the gospel of the laying down of Jesus' life for us and for our salvation. Therefore, the history of Christianity has been an account of great hearts yearning for and marching to the regions beyond for the sake of the name. And the name is Jesus, for he shall save us and them from our sins. John Stott used to say, we must be global Christians with a global vision because our God is a global God. Christians used to sing, we've a Savior to show to the nations who the path of sorrow hath trod that all of the world's great peoples might come to the truth of God for the darkness shall turn to dawning and the dawning to noonday bright and God's great kingdom shall come on earth, the kingdom of love and light. I can see by the smiles on some of your faces. You remember singing that. It was in the mission section of most hymnals. Today, Christians around the world are gathering to worship their great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, by hearing him speak through the reading and preaching of his word and celebrating his presence by the power of the Holy Spirit as they gather at his table to participate in the sacrament of his body and blood. All these Christians, including ourselves, are the fruit of sacrificial missionary labor, blessed by God, however far back. And we need to remember that a lot of these missionaries were killed for their trouble. But they laid their lives on the line for Jesus. And there are still many people groups untouched by the gospel of Christ. Let us pray and give and go until the Apostle John's vision of heaven is fulfilled. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude which no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. I ask you this morning, is Jesus Christ your Savior King? Have you trusted in Him as your Savior, and are you serving Him as your King? Let us pray with the hymn writer, King of my life. I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be, lest I forget thy thorn-crowned brow. Lead me to Calvary. May I be willing, Lord, to bear daily my cross for thee. Even thy cup of grief to share, thou hast borne all for me. Lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony lest I forget thy love for me. 
lead me to Calvary. For those who belong to Jesus, God has rescued you from the kingdom of darkness and transferred you to the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Therefore, we have full assurance that Christ has redeemed us, that he is indeed bringing in his kingdom as we sing with confidence. God is working his purpose out as year succeeds to year. God is working his purpose out and the time is drawing near. Nearer and nearer draws the time, the time that shall surely be when the earth shall be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Do you believe that? What a glorious future we have in Christ. Now I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Jesus Christ who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in an approachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, our gracious God, so lift up before us him who is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, that we may be compelled by his love to reach out to a dying world with the life-giving message of Jesus Christ, who died for us and rose for us and is even now praying for us and who has promised that he will one day come back and receive his people for himself. We pray in his name and for his sake. Amen.